Well, tonight we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34, and we're in our series, Walking to Freedom. And tonight's the title of the teaching is God is Love. And there's a couple things that we're going to learn tonight in Exodus 34. And what can we learn from that? Well, we're going to learn that God is love. He's full of grace. But to those who disobey his command to come to Christ for forgiveness for their sins, there will be an account for that. There's an account for not coming to the Lord and repenting of our sins. Because God's going to tell us that he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And that's an important word for us. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. And there's a warning at the end of this. We're going to go through nine verses tonight. There's a warning at the end of this. And this declaration after he talks about his giving his forgiveness and how graceful he is. But he says, by no means... Do I clear the guilty? God does not leave the guilty unpunished. And we're going to learn that tonight as we go through this. And we're in Exodus 34. And the whole thing tonight, what we're going to do, is we're looking at how Moses was interceding for the people of Israel. He was interceding for them. He was looking for forgiveness and grace in the sight of our Lord. And he just got told by God that he was going to see God's glory, right? Just told him that you're going to see my backside. You can't handle my full glory. It's too much for you. So you're going to see the backside of me, and that's probably too much for him as well. But Moses was just told this, and there are limitations to this revelation. There are limitations to this revelation, but it just wants you to make sure that it's not God that's limited. It's us. We have limitations on things, on what we can see and what we can hear. And this is something that God promised Moses. He said, you're going to see it. He's going to go up to the mountaintop. He's going to see it. Now, God had already promised him that. But the entire thought of what we're looking at tonight is very simply, it can be summed up with one word, and that's love. Because God is love. And we're going to see that tonight. The law was given, and it was a law, it was about justice and punishment. And God has set these laws, and he must enforce them based on his righteousness and his holy character. Now, Israel, remember, they violated this law, and they were ready to receive punishment for this, right? They violated it. You did something wrong, just like with the kids, right? They do something wrong. There's consequences, we always don't like the consequences, do we? But there are consequences to our sin. God forgives us of our sins, but there are always consequences after that. And it's interesting that Moses is the mediator here. He's mediating them. He's going on and he's appealing on behalf of the people. He's giving them a request. He's going to God saying, look, Lord, I'm gonna, I want to request this. I want to intercede for the people. But before this is given, before grace is given, there are two new tablets that are requested to be made. God's going to ask for two new tablets. With these tablets will become the repeat of the inscriptions that were on the first ones. But it appears that this repeat of the inscription would then mean justice and punishment would once again be the expectation of God. That's what he expects through this. 
But before the, ins- the uh, inscription is made, before the tablets are handed back and grace is received and mercy is granted, and that God is going to renew his covenant with his people. It's evident that he's going to renew that, for he forgave his people and he's giving them a new beginning again. How many times has he done that? How many times has God given us a new beginning? Quite a few. God gives us a new beginning, and we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh chances, because he is a God of those chances. But the one thing is, is no one could know, not even Moses could know all about God and what God was going to do. Even though God revealed himself fully in Jesus Christ, there is a sense in which God remains hidden to us, isn't there? There are things about God that we don't know and that are hidden. But what is going to be revealed to us tonight is not hidden, and that is God is love. He's the God of love. And this final request by Moses that the sin of his people be pardoned and that they be God's inheritance. Charles Eliot states this. He says, something is always lost by sin, even when it is forgiven. The first tablets were the work of God. The second tablets were by the hands of Moses. In Exodus 32, 16, it says, now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Elcott's words are true and the original tablets were formed by God and they were broken by Moses, but really they were broken by mankind. They were broken by all mankind. But it was, but it was not the intent of the tablets alone to be the focus. The tablets were not the focus. The focus on the tablets was the Word of God. That was the focus. That is the attention. And there are all kinds of tablets and all kinds of markers in our world today, aren't there? For me, the most prevalent one, I would have to say, are in the cemetery. Right? Have you ever walked through the cemetery? You see all these tombstones that are exactly the like. They're just pumping those things out. But what's different about them is what's inscribed on them. What's different about these tablets is what's there, the names of the people, what they've done. And as I've gone through some cemeteries, I always kind of look at the names, and I might see a Smith or a Jones or all that. kind of doesn't interest me. But if I see one with my last name, now all of a sudden I'm interested and if I see two, now I'm really interested. I'm looking at those and I'm reading them because that's what's important. It's not the tablets themselves. It's what's written on them. And we should be interested in what was written on them. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to read, look at Exodus chapter 34, verse 1. And it says this, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. I like that part. You like that? I always want to make sure that I'm letting you know you did it. Okay? You guys broke them. I didn't. I didn't break this covenant. You guys did. He wanted to make sure that. 
But as Moses is, was preparing to leave this tent of meetings, God gives him these new instructions. And he tells him to chisel out these two tablets. And first of all, why did Moses break the tablets? We learned that last week, right? Why did, he, why did we break the tablets? The golden calf, dancing around that golden calf. That's what they were doing. They were dancing around that. But this should not surprise us. Paul said that the reason that the law was given was to show us that we couldn't keep it. The law's there to show us that we're sinners, that we can't keep it. And he knew that, and that we're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. In Galatians 3.24, it says, So the law was a guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. God knew we wouldn't be able to keep it. He knows each and every one of us, and he knows that. But it was by their dancing around this calf that they had broken the covenant with God, and that they, then Moses had broken those tablets at the foot of Mount Sinai. And now he's saying, I want new tablets, just like the first ones, the same appearance, and they'll be used for the same purpose. The fact that God is asking Moses to bring up these tablets is telling me that they're going to be considered to be acceptable for bearing the law. That man-made tablets are going to be the same because it's going to be God's word that's on them. Otherwise, God would have made them himself. But he let Moses do that. The second tablets were cut and formed by man, but they had the word of God on they had the word of God. The same perfect laws, the same things were inscribed in them. Now the law was put in the ark, which also represents a picture of Christ in a way because Christ embodies that same law. It's fully contained in him. This takes us back to the symbolism of the mercy seat. In his perfect completion of the law, Christ died in fulfillment of it and thus the law died with him. The blood was shed and the law was fulfilled. This is what is being pictured and what's happening right now with these two sets of laws. It's showing the supremacy, the work of Christ in comparison to the falling of Adam or mankind. That's what it's doing. This is the meaning of Christ's words in Matthew 5, 7. It says this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Christ came to fulfill that law. Christ didn't smash it. Rather, he embodied them. In verse 2, it says this. Be ready in the morning and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. So it says, be ready in the morning. There's an interval of one day here that allowed for the shaping of these tablets. And after God tells Moses that he's going to share with his glory, now he invites him to come up to the mountaintop. He's saying, come on up here. Come up the next day, the next morning. And Moses was obedient. Moses did what God instructed him to do. He prepared two tablets and went up there. Now I want to ask you a question. If you heard God and he asked you, tomorrow morning, I want you to meet me down at uh, Dunkin' Donuts. 
right, at 9 o'clock, would you get any sleep that night? I wouldn't get any sleep at all. I would be so wide-eyed, I wouldn't know what to do. I don't know what Moses did. You know, he's bringing these two stones up there. But if I had an appointment with God, I wouldn't be able to sleep at all. And God's promising, he says, you meet me there, and I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something you've never seen before. How awesome is that? Now I'm really not sleeping, right? Because God's going to reveal something to me that I've never seen before. So Moses goes up the next morning to that mountaintop. Moses takes these tablets with him, and he climbs up that mountain. And next we're going to see how gracious God is. Because the next verse, it says this, no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountains. And God did this, I think, for their safety. He did this for their safety. He's saying, Moses, keep the people away. They're not going to be able to stand what they're going to be able to see because of my glory is so awesome. So he's, he's gracious and he's merciful and he's saying, keep them away from that. God shows mercy in this instance. God could have very easily said this, I'm a powerful and holy God and I'm so awesome. Guess what, people? You come up and see me, you're going to die. But he doesn't do that. So he's careful to tell Moses to tell his people not to because God is gracious and he's merciful. The next thing I'd like to point out is that God is gracious and he's merciful. And he is in each one of our lives. Everything God does, he does to protect us. And we sometimes we don't know that. We don't see that because of our circumstances, because of what's going on in our lives. We don't see that because we don't look above the circumstances. We keep our eyes focused on those circumstances when we should be keeping our eyes above the circumstances focused on God. Because in Romans 8, 28, it says, I work all things for the good. And he does. He works all these things for good. Each and every one of them. Even when we can't see them. That's why we pray. On Monday night, we were in here praying. There's people with health problems. There's people that have all these other issues. There's circumstances. We invite the God of those circumstances in to help us. Bring him, involve him into those circumstances because God is gracious and he's merciful to each and every one of us. In verse four, it says, so Moses chiseled out the two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Now Moses does what he's told to do. He's being obedient. He's going up early in the morning to do this. And this was the day of days, I think, for Moses, or it would have been for me, because now he's going to get a glimpse of God. He's going to get a glimpse of God. Even if it just is his backside, like he said, you'll see the back of me, but he's going to see God. In a mysterious way, Moses gets more than a glimpse of God because it's not really what he sees that's important. It's what he hears. Because what Moses hears on that mountaintop goes into the depths of his soul. 
it reveals more about who God is than we've ever seen before. And it's not about seeing, right? We don't believe because we see something, we hear, right? Isn't that what God's word says? We hear. And in verse five, it says this, or excuse me, the point I'd like to make there was God's word should penetrate us deeply and change our lives. And that's what's about to happen to Moses. He's going to hear something from God that's going to change his life on the way he looks at things, the way he looks at God. In verse five, it says, then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. Now, how awesome is that? right? The Lord came down there. The Lord descended in a cloud. And Moses is on this mountain. And it's so important that when we see a cloud in the Old Testament, it always means that God's presence is there. And his eyes were open. He was seeing what was going on because God was close to him. While Moses was standing there, the Lord passed by and Moses could sense his presence. He knew that God was there. And like I said, it wasn't about what he saw as much as what he hears. He hears God speak. As the Lord passes by, he says this to Moses. He will say something to Moses that is so important. It underscores of who God is in his sovereignty for all of us. And it says this in verse 6. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiveness, wickedness, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Now Moses received a limited glimpse of God accompanied by these awesome and these majestic words that God is speaking to him right now. What a powerful and awesome inspiration, this, de this description of who God is. Moses now knows what John would later learn after being taught by Jesus, that God is love. And for us tonight, God is love. He's the God of love. And for me, although I've given God plenty of reasons to be done with me, I don't think he gets upset with me or uptight. God, I don't think, drinks a lot of coffee, so I don't think he's all hyped up on caffeine and all jittery and all that. But what I do know is he's compassionate and he's gracious. And the kingdom of God is full of grace for all of us. Because God is gracious and we're the recipients of his compassion and his steadfast love, these two descriptive words, compassion and grace, speak of who God is and that God understands our weakness each and every day. As human beings, we're sinners, right? We're all sinners. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. And Paul writes in five, Romans 5.8, he says, but God demonstrates his love for us and this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for each and every one of us. He accepts us for who we are, and who we are is sinners. 
each and every one of us. God redeems us by his forgiveness and keeps redeeming us through his faithful presence and power. With this description of God, his grace and his unmerited favor towards us, God who acts in kindness is steadfast and he is completely trustworthy. We have to trust God in everything. You know, Moses got a glimpse of God and I think he was able to answer the question that I think a lot of us try to, try to answer, at least I tried two years ago, is who is God? Who is God and what is God like? What is God like? Well, he's just described what he's like. And I think this is a spiritual marker for Moses, right? He's up on this mountaintop. This is a mountaintop experience for him. He's getting to know who God is. This is an affirmation of who God is in his life and in ours. He's a loving God whose mercy and grace provides forgiveness for each and every one of us. The same God who met Moses on that day on the mountain is the same God who said these words in John 3.16. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's our God. God loves us that much. It was left for Jesus to become that incarnation of these words that the people might forever believe that God is who he was and who he says he is. And he's our God. He's love. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. There's nothing in the dark here. There's nothing hitting. You know, when Moses is up on that mountaintop, there's no, there's no lightning flashes. There's nothing going on. The cloud is there. But there's no dramatic experience that Moses has that points him in the direction other than what the words of God have told him. Remember, Moses has been through a lot with God, right? He's been through the terrors of Egypt. He's been through the ten plagues, the final banishing of Pharaoh's army into the bowels of the Red Sea. And certainly he did not see this coming of what God's description of who he was. He's the God of love. And when I was studying this, when you go through the Bible, and you, most of you have these, it gives you a little reference, some cross-references, what it is. And one of the cross-references was Psalms 103. And I want to read that to you right now. So what I want to do is I just want to read this, but I want you to just listen and let the Holy Spirit minister to you as we hear these words about our Lord. This is from King David. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, 
slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how, they, how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children and those who keep his covenant, and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. That's a pretty powerful part of Scripture. The Lord is telling us who he is, that he loves each and every one of us. And faith comes from hearing the Word of God. And we hear that when God speaks to us. But what else did Moses experience? We don't really know what else Moses experienced through this, but he really knew who God was. He knew God's character, the character of compassion. And God says this, I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sorrow, and I will deliver them. Jesus would later say in Matthew 9.36, when he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Does that describe any of us? Before we knew Christ, we were helpless, harassed, sheep that didn't know where we were going and didn't have a shepherd to guide us and direct us. In a mysterious way, Moses has got more than a glimpse of God. He heard God's words in the depths of his soul, and he knew for a fact that God is love. And it wouldn't be for centuries until the fullness of time when the Word became flesh, and that was Jesus, that the Word became flesh and spoke no words that made it ever clearer than what God said to Moses on that mountaintop himself when he said those words about who he was and described his character. It all comes down to simply our God is love and our God is gracious. There are two meanings that are also connected with this Hebrew thought. So when God calls himself gracious, what he really means is he sees each and every one of us as a treasure. We're a treasure. We're God's treasure. And he delights in us regardless of what we do 
or how we behave. Can we say that about our kids? I can't. Sometimes their behavior is like, yeah, no, I don't know. But God says it doesn't matter. I love you, and I'm gracious to you. And what does the grace of God do in our lives? God's grace gives us a new life, which is not condemned by God. We're not condemned anymore. Through God's grace, we're forgiven. It transforms our thinking, resulting in the renewal of our mind. We renew our mind each and every day with God's word. So many times we get to a point where we don't know what's going on and the enemy is speaking into our minds. We go, I don't know how to get that out of my head. Well, how do you get it out of your head? You put something into it. You put God's word. For God so loved the world that he sent his son for me. You push out the evil. You push out the badness. You fill it with something good, with God's word. That's what we do. We fill it with God's word. We renew our minds and our hearts daily. Through grace, we live the kind of life that God would want every one of his children to live and experience. What is an example of God's grace? Jesus. Jesus is an example. His life, his death, wasn't pleasant by any means, but he humbled himself to death on the cross so that we could be saved. Something we didn't deserve. This salvation is offered us, and it's offered to everyone we didn't deserve. And these Israelites kept on turning away from it. The picture of these Hebrews in this text, the picture of the Hebrew text of grace is one of overflowing. And I look at this overflowing when I think about God's grace is that it never stops. It's kind of like the uh, my neighbor has a uh, sprinkler system. Hey, you got those sprinkler systems in the yard, the irrigation system? And when they break, they don't stop. They just keep on going. Roads flooded, just keeps on flowing, right? It's kind of what God's grace is. It just keeps flowing. It doesn't stop. No matter what we do, it never stops. We can't do anything that God's, nothing can separate us from God's love. It continues to flow freely for each and every one of us. We get back to Scripture. It says, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations. Sometimes this Scripture is a little bit hard to understand of when he's saying that he's going to punish the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generations, but God's holiness and his character of who he is, his goodness, these words point to a clearly holy God whose righteousness requires punishment for wrongdoing. Clearly points to that. One of the primary meanings of the tabernacle is the reflection of the holy God, right? We were taught that, that this tabernacle was a meeting place for the holy God and that we were to be set apart from that, or to be set apart from the sins of the world. You know, and God gave all these rules, right? He gave, you need to clean this, you need to wear this. I don't think he was all that obsessed with personal hygiene, to be honest with you. I don't think that's what he was, but I think he was, up, he was putting out the emphasis that his people need to be clean and set apart and holy as they entered into where God dwelt. We need to be that 
as perfect goodness. We need to be as perfect as we can be. Of course, we're never going to be perfect, and we know that. You know, and I always like what Paul says, you know, when Paul says that he's never arrived. You know, Paul, the guy that wrote half the half the Bible, right? Or all the books in the Bible. He writes all this and he says that he's never got there. Guess what? There's hope for us, right? There's hope for us. We're never going to get there either. So take take that as what it is because we'll never get there. But God's purpose is to produce goodness in all of us. That's what God's purpose is. God wants us to produce goodness. And God takes sides against sin. And all sin is bad. You know, when you look at like murder and stuff like that, God sees it as a sin. That's it. He doesn't put degrees. Man puts degrees on it. Man puts degrees on, eh, that's not that bad. That's not that bad. No, sin is sin. And God is against it. He's against all sin. He's a holy God. And he's called us to be holy. God can't help being against sin because he's the total opposite of what sin is. He's righteous, he's truthful, and there's words in the Bible that are sometimes hard to understand. There are words in the Bible like, our Father, that's our Heavenly Father. But then you look at the wrath of God. How is that? He's our Heavenly Father, but the wrath of God. It's not mean that God has a temper. It simply describes his reaction to his holiness sin. He's a holy God and he's reacting to our sin. He's against sin because he is a holy God. He's a perfect and he cannot put up with our sin. Any more than someone that makes a proper advance to your children, right? Anybody tries to do something to our kids, we're, that's it, that's it. Game over. We're not doing this. The line is drawn. We're moving forward, Right? And that's how God is. He's the same way with sin. We don't, he doesn't put up with it. Just like we wouldn't put up with somebody doing something to our kids. Never do that. And what God is saying is that he is holiness himself. And he won't put up with anything unholy. And it's interesting that not will he says he'd not put up with it, but he won't put up with it. The verse in this context speaks of God's grace and mercy. And if we sin, what God's saying is that he's going to visit us. He's saying, I'm going to visit you. If you sin, if your kids sin, anybody sins, I'm going to come visit you. He's going to deal with those sins. He's going to deal with me. He's going to come and he's going to visit me. The Holy Spirit's going to convict me of my sins. And there's also possibly punishment for those sins. And he's saying that. God's going to knock on the door of each generation. And he says, I'm going to knock on the door of each generation, from generation to generation, and I'm going to deal with each person and their sin. And I'm going to visit them. I'm going to convict them. I'm going to correct them. But the purpose of doing this is for restoration. He's doing this because he wants to restore them. And God will not give up. He's not going to give up. And in verse 8, it says, Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this stiff-necked people forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us 
as your inheritance. With all this revelation that Moses has just had, this realization of who God is about his incredible grace and his mercy, Moses worships. But he's also interceding for the stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And I think it's interesting because the words, our sin and our wickedness, they're very significant. Because Moses wasn't guilty of disobeying God because he was doing what God told him to do. But Moses was called to lead a rebellious people. And Moses was identifying with those people by saying, ours. He was identifying. He wasn't going, that's them. That's them. It's not me. I'm leading them. I'm part of it. So he was identifying with them, just like Ezra and Daniel did in their prayers of confession. It was ours. It's not always pointing to someone else. The Lord had just declared that he forgave his people. And once again, God pardoned these stubborn Hebrews. How many times is he going to do it? But thank God for that, right? Thank God for that in our lives, that he forgives us. But Moses laid hold of one truth. It does not take long for us to look at our lives and realize that we have a need for forgiveness, grace, and mercy. And our God, our God of love, is the one who provides that for us. We will never know all about who God is when we get a fresh insight of God and his word speaks to us. I hope that we're like Moses on that mountaintop and that we drop to our knees and bow our heads in humility and awe and wonder of God and worship God for who he is, the God of love. I heard a story of a little girl and her grandparents were talking to her and they asked her <clears throat> this question and it's so precious. It says this, she was getting ready to turn four. And he asked her, so when will you be four? And her answer was, when I'm done being three. <laughs> Unlike this little girl, we'll never get through being three. We'll never get through that. And that is knowing who God is. But as we are three, we know one thing, that God is love. He is love. No matter what other revelation, what other thing that you got from this teaching tonight, and that you know about God, know that God is the essence of love in our lives. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence tonight. And Father, as we look at your word tonight, and we realize and we know that you are love, that our greatest need is forgiveness, and you've provided that with your son on the cross, and that your love is so amazing that it just overwhelms us. May we be overwhelmed. May we be overcome by your presence each and every day. May the words in the Bible speak to us. May they come alive in our heart that we would have a fresh revelation of who you are each and every day, that we would be aware of your presence, that we would have a fresh encounter. Father, thank you for your word. 
thank you for your son. We thank you for your church here tonight, Father. We thank you for everyone that's here. And we just lift our, our voices to you right now in prayer, but in praise of the one who's worthy of that praise. We praise you for who you are. You are God and the God of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.